I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, Egg Chasers. It's the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously, and we are back. And actually, being as there's no rugby to speak of, we've got plenty to talk about. Uh, at the end of the podcast, we're going to get into the Lord Miner's report into the salary cap and all of his recommendations, which could see, well, it could see the face of rugby in the UK and who knows where else change. So we'll get into that in a little bit. But first off, hello, Phil. Hello, Tim. That's some old school England stash. A couple of years old. This, yeah. Oh, it's, it's, a tra- it's a tracksuit top. Got you. Yeah, little track top. Um, not Umbro, unfortunately. Not got the, my hands on the new gear yet. No, well, Umbro got Bristol as well, snapped up. Bristol Bears. That's good. Clever signing, that one. Clever yeah. signing. Because Bristol, their market value in a couple of years' time, if they um, embed all their new signings, it could be sky high. Mm. They could be competing for titles in the next couple of years. And equally, Umbro, just, just like England is a white shirt with a red rose, Bristol, blue and white, full hoops. Done. Yeah, nice bit of red on there. Well, the, the, yeah, yeah, a little bit of red. A little bit, bit of red, red trim. Yes, red trim, red piping. Yeah. There you go, done. Done. Um, hello, JB. Yeah, I was waiting <laughs> Sorry. to say hello to me. That's why it's so quiet. I didn't want to ruin the broadcast for everyone. I think of the, I'm I'm all right, thanks. I think of the three of us, I'm the one that probably is, I I mean, I'm getting to the point, I thought I was getting to the point where I really needed a haircut, but I feel better looking at you two. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Phil, you look, JB, look at Phil. He looks a little bit like, um, you know, Homer when he's young in the Simpsons. (laughs) He looks like young Homer. He does, that's a great shout. It's it's getting ridiculous, my hair. (laughs) What are you going to do? The more weight it'd have, and then therefore it wouldn't stick up, but it just slowly stays in. So it is. Yours, it yours is. grows up and out. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tremendous look. It's a terrifying look, JB. It I, is. It is. I look unhinged. I think I'm past the point of no return now. I don't think I can shave it off because I think there's a danger that if I shave it off now, it won't have gone anywhere close to growing back by the time I can be let out into normal society again. Yeah. And you've, still, you've still got to do video calls and stuff as well, haven't you? I do. Uh, yes, a, a lot of video calls in the last week, unfortunately. Shave your head and get a, a, a variety of wigs that, <laughs> so you can kind of just gradually day. increase the length of it. I'm, I'm half tempted to just go for like a mohawk or something totally ridiculous. You should, you should definitely do that, mate. Yeah, I think you should do that. I don't, I don't think there's any risk in that whatsoever. No risk, no risk, no risk. Otherwise, I do look like Nicola Sturgeon. <laughs> <laughs> 
Can I just say as well, before we get into it, today um, I, I was in the... I was in the uh, constituency of the Honourable Robert Largan today. Oh, I was, in I was, High I was, Peak. I was in the Peak District and um, I, t- I couldn't wait to get out into out of the city. And uh, yeah, so I was one of the people that everyone on social media has been moaning about. You know. if, I only have known, if I only had have known, I, I would have uh, tagged, you in, tagged you in a tweet. And would yeah. Have myself. I'm going to... Text Robert Largan right now and right grass now, you up. Right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's outrageous because I was I was on a hill with only about seven hundred meters between me and the nearest other human being. So <laughs> I can understand why everyone's so upset. Anything could happen, mate. I love the story, right? I love the story about the uh, the New Zealand author who has decided to up sticks from New Zealand and go to the Isle of Skye. Uh, I just love it because uh, you heard the story. Yeah, he oh, yeah. flew from Auckland to Los Angeles, I think. Los Angeles yes. to London, got a car, drove it to the Isle of Skye to his other house. Which, which that oh, drive, so I've driven from Manchester to Skye. That drive from London, you're talking 12 plus hours of, yes, of driving. Huge, it's, it's, it's a huge, huge drive. drive. But ultimately, yeah. you know, he's seen no one on the way there. He's probably done no harm. I mean, the outrage is unbelievable. But there's a, a bigger thing at play. Who the hell? Leaves New Zealand, which is probably the most Scotland-like place on the planet. (laughs) What psychopath goes through LA to go go to Scotland? LA, LAX, and Heathrow. Two of like the busy. There's no way if I'm leaving, basically the southern version of Scotland, going via LA (laughs) and getting on that connecting flight. You couldn't get me on that connecting flight for love nor money. Although, having been trapped at home with my wonderful, lovely wife and uh, a 15-month-old baby for the last eight weeks, I can somewhat sympathise with his desire to get away. (laughs) I I don't understand what the people in the Isle of Skye are upset about. It's the greatest advert for the place because someone has embarked on an unbelievable mission just to hang out there. It is unbelievable, isn't it? (laughs) It is, unbelievable. it is unbelievable. It is unbelievable. God knows how much flights would have cost. He could have rented a place around the corner from where he was, so he could have got the space away from Same his wife and pop, pop back and seen his kid from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Rugby. Um, someone else who's embarking on a new journey is Johan Ackerman. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's, what, was your, what was your reaction when you saw that he was leaving Gloucester and, and heading to Japan? Initially, surprise. Um, mm-hmm. I've for the last few seasons, I've kind of thought. I, I mean, I really like Ackerman. I, I love how he talks. Um, I think he talks a lot of sense. Um, I did mention a couple of weeks ago he did come across as a bit naive in the disciplinary report against um, in the Rowan Yancey von Rensburg case, which I, I would still stand by. But I still think he's a very good. Um, coach and a very good communicator and someone I respect hugely. So I was surprised initially, but then I started thinking back to this season and Gloucester underperforming. And I mean, I checked the table. So Gloucester won four out of 13 games, which considering I had them as top four this season, um, based on the trajectory from last season, even potentially challenging for, for the title this season, that is simply not good enough. So maybe there's something else at play here that that he can't um, fulfil the potential of that team because it is undoubtedly a talented team. Yeah, I'm. Um, I was kind of disappointed. 
I am a huge Ackerman fan. I was, I'm looking at it in the interview. I've interviewed him twice at Sale, too. Uh, everyone I've spoken to who's played for Gloucester who has interacted with him says he's an amazing bloke, and I think they're probably right. Uh, certainly, certainly the feeling I get around him, but I think he was a luxury. So the other thing people don't realise about Ackerman is how little coaching he did. Um, the oh, day-to-day really? coaching, yeah, the day-to-day coaching was really done by uh, Tommy Bell and is it Taylor? Johnny jo- Johnny Bell and Tim Johnny Taylor? Bell, sorry, so, yes. Um, so most of the coaches, most of the coaching isn't done by him, but like I say, he is an amazing communicator. Now I think if Gloucester were top of the table, you know, they would they would have fought tooth, tooth and claw to keep him. Now they're not at the top of the table, and like you said, Phil, they're not doing particularly well. I think they can afford to get rid. And I don't think it's a terrible thing when everyone's looking to cut costs. They can't pay their players their full salary. You've got a director of rugby who's probably on... Sorry, a head coach because he's not director of rugby. Yeah, because Humphreys is director yeah, of rugby. Humphreys is director of rugby. So, you know, for a head coach who doesn't do much coaching, um, it is a luxury. And I think they would fought if they were at top of the table. As they're not, don't think it's a terrible idea. Tim, what's your view? Because you will have... Um, met and interviewed Ackerman as well. Well, I think what was really noticeable when he first came in was the breath of fresh air that he was in that Gloucester side. As JB mentioned, the players loved him. And there was so much positivity from the Gloucester side last season. And that almost translated into a playoff finish, which they narrowly missed out on. Um, no, no, no. They, they, they got to playoffs. No, Saints, wasn't it? No, no. Oh no, yeah, they played. They played Saracens. They played Saracens. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, so there you go. They got to. The, I've completely forgotten. Um, they got to the playoffs. Yeah. To be fair, um, once they got to the playoffs, they were forgettable. They were very yeah. forgettable. I, I worked that. I worked that match as well. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, I think me and Jay were at the um, Twickenham Sevens watching you working hard. Yes, yeah. Ryan. Oh, I was so looking forward to those Twickenham Sevens again. We were going to be going. It. It was, it, you would have loved it, Tim. Mm. It was such a you event. It was great fun. Great event. And great, um, really good food. Really, really good food, actually. <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm, I, I'm, I would not have predicted that it would have come to an end so soon, but the wheels have come off this year. And I, and I don't like always putting that at the feet of coaches. There's many other things. And I think one of the, one of the clear differences between last year and this year for Gloucester uh, is Danny Cipriani, who is just fallen off a cliff and um yep i'm sure if if you want to write a post-mortem on on the last year of gloucester um i think that might be more of a factor than johan ackerman but uh, but is there an argument that he's too nice we have seen this before really really great lovely guys who kind of maybe aren't quite ruthless enough that definitely definitely comes across in the um the rohan case De- like it, it just comes across as too nice and, and too naive. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I went out for a run earlier today and I was kind of thinking about... All right, humble this. brag. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you could have just said, I, I was thinking about this earlier. <laughs> no, I, 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 like to set, I like to set the settings. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, I was kind of thinking about Johan Ackerman and what he sort of bought. And I was wondering, did... They've got to sort of con themselves, and can you con yourself as a rugby team? I mean, if everyone's just bou- you know, really bouncy and positive and wanting to get out there, that could actually account for a good ten percent, you know, a good ten percent extra in performance because everyone just wants to play with each other. 
But once it comes crashing down, and once you know, the cracks appear and you lose one or two here or there, that just goes away. And once that's, that, that's gone, um, you know, there's not a tremendous amount left. Now, on Danny Cipriani, that's, I think you're right, so I think that's a bigger factor. Because what do you do with him if he is no longer effective going forward? And I mean going forward, not in time, as in literally going forward with the ball. You can't reinvent the attack because he simply won't have it. He plays in a way that he plays. So I guess you're either going to have to get rid of him or change everything else or make sure the defence is so dominant. And they did have a very dominant defence for a long time to help them out on to, to help them out in other aspects of the game to, to support the to support the attack. I just don't know I just don't know what you do. And I think if they're gonna get rid of Ackerman, they might find themselves in a situation where they think, actually let's just get rid of Danny Cipriani. Let's let's get rid of the whole lot right now. They found themselves in a predicament where their performance has been so closely co- correlated with the performance of one player, Danny Cipriani, that when the good t- when Cipriani was performing well, the good times were rolling and they found themselves at the top of the table. But as soon as Cipriani's form has dipped, even though they've got huge numbers of other stars and World Cup winners and immense talent in the back three and a a mighty pack, even though they've got all of that stuff, they've not been performing. Yeah, I mean, their back division is awesome, isn't it? They've got so much much talent right across the team. Their, Their pack is gnarly. They've got huge options in the back row. I mean, Ackerman, Morgan and Pelledri... Name a, a bigger, more physical back row than that. Means struggle. I, and that's not even including you know the guys like um, Creel, Ludlow, Ludlow, Creel, Ludlow, Ludlow, Ludlum, Ludlow, 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 and Clark and the yeah. rest. I love Clark. He's got some great. great yeah, he's, he's a very good player. Yeah. Mm. So so they're they're so tied to the the performance of one player. So JB, you're right. As well as the decision on Ackerman, they've got another decision to make on, on Cipriani at some point. Yeah, they can save a lot of money there. They can save a lot of money, get someone far less talented. And it's kind of like the, uh, is it the Rude Van Nisselrooy example that, that United fans gave? Which is when he left, everyone just had to play 10% better. Well, they have <laughs> a lot of talent there who could play 10% better. Yeah, they definitely do. A lot of people to pick up the gaps. But they, they do need, they need a good 10 to steer that ship, but they need someone who is replicable, if that makes sense. It's someone who, if you take them out of that team, the whole thing doesn't fall apart like Cipriani has done. Mm. Well, I'll tell you, one one place they might have just lost, well, not lost, but they might have just parted company with a South African coach. There's a fair few South African players, I could imagine, they could tap up. I mean, death, death. Well, firstly, this week, death taxes and sale sharks signing a South African. They've got a Cobus visa um, from. Well, Sar- Saracens have terminated the contract they had with him, and Sale have picked him up. It looks like. Lock back row, Cobus visa. From Stormers. Very good, yep. very good back five of the scrum player. Uh, which That's is what's needed. Yeah, which which <laughs> when I was reading that, it doesn't seem like an area of weakness at the moment for Sale. Well, I if anything, they've got. Wilson. They've got well, Mark Wilson's not really played, has he? Nope. They've only they've <laughs> only got John O'Ross, Dan Dupree, Luke Dupree, uh, Ben Who? Curry, Tom Curry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's going to take, the thing is it's going to take a lot to win both the Heineken Cup and the Premiership, isn't it? <laughs> Sale could legitimately field. I don't think they have a tight head um, South African, but 
they could field. Yeah, they do. Do they? Who? Cooney's. Um, um, what's his name? Cooney is a loose head. Loose head. Is he a tight head or a loose head? Plays head. He, he can play both, can't he? he okay. Tight a bit early days. Okay. Well, well they, they, they can field Probably a pack. Signings. They so will got. probably field a uh, at some point a pack with seven South Africans in the pack, and th- at least three in the back line as well. Good, good. Great, <laughs> great, um, great for sale. But, it's, it's good. It's good. Anyway, but but but, but, but Gloucester and other clubs can go shopping for some cut price South Africans. Probably, well, no, not probably, definitely. Well, the, there are. There are at least some South Africans in the market because um, a couple of the South Africans who are now available, I'm not sure. I think that even in this um, current climate, the demand for these players will be pretty high. So, so to preface this, so um, there's central contracting within South Africa and the South African Rugby Union announced that they were introducing a clause. So it's a unilateral termination clause. So the player could terminate their clause within 21 days of notifying because of the, the changes to the contract. So reduce a player's salary, but also give the option to allow players to leave without any issue. And a few players have taken this up. 43% cut as well. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, 43%. So a significant um, salary cut. So... There's a few players that have taken these up, including Cobus uh, Visa, is it, who's going to sail, um, but also two very big names, including one of the most talented hookers on the planet, Malcolm Marks, and uh, one of the most talented players on the planet, Peter Steph de Toy. Um, uh, yeah. So the moment he is the best player on the planet. They are two sensational players, and the demand will... Uh, not be short for those two players. And I actually think that, well, I'm fairly confident they will get a significant pay pay increase by cutting this. But arguably, because the um, the pool of players is so large, you, a club might still get a bit of a bargain compared to a, a couple of years ago for two World Cup winners. I mean, yeah, it's, it's good for South Africa. They're going to, they're going through a really tough time the club the franchises the south african rugby union can palm off a load of their costs onto other unions and clubs and people that are willing to pay on the flip side in a lions year it's not i don't think razzy erasmus would think that was ideal uh i don't mind this i don't mind it for south africa okay remember when wales were really good uh, actually under gatland and at the time i think they were at the absolute height was when jamie roberts was plowing through uh back divisions and a lot of the lads had disappeared through disappeared uh, overseas say overseas across the border um, and I thought one of the best things about that was it freed up all the spaces in the regions in order to develop new players and I think the same thing will happen in South Africa South Africa are not going to be importing cheap Welsh players or cheap Irish players in fact there's no other players in the world that can come there because that's not how the um, how the economic climate is They'll just get more lads playing in South Africa, playing at the top level, giving them more experience. I think they'll come off much better for this. But that, that is a long-term advantage. The, the short-term disadvantage would be two guys who would be definitely in the 23, um, most likely starting, although I, I am aware that Malcolm Marks wasn't starting in the, the finals of the World Cup um, because of Bongo Mbenambi. 
Um, but you've got two guys who definitely be in the 23 who, let's say they go to France, they will still be playing when the Lions tour starts. Yeah, fair. So that that is a disadvantage, um, just not having access to all your players. And that, that is something that does burden South Africa more than any other nation because they've got more players playing outside of South Africa as their national club, team. Obviously, they had Francois Lerl, Fafis Clerk, um, Cheslin and Colby. Cheslin Colby. I mean, they, this isn't a new situation for them. They're very well set up to deal with it. So they are, but it, it, different tournaments affect teams differently. So the, the World Cup, for example, is great because you have a three, four month total exclusion of all of the rugby. You are just training as a team, building up that one tournament. Whereas the way that the Lions falls, now, don't get me wrong, as, a, as an England fan as a, and as a Lions fan, um, any advantage that the Lions can get is a good one from my side. But if you put a South African hat on, this might disrupt things a little bit because they, yeah. those players, they're not going to get access until... I mean, some of them, it might even be the week... They might be playing in France. Colby might be playing for Toulouse the week before the first test. Like that, that could be a legitimate position. Unless they have sort of contract language in there to allow their release. But I do know this. After the George North contract at Northampton, you were not allowed any release from your contract outside of IRB windows. Sorry, World Rugby, World Rugby. windows. Or yeah. IRB, as it, as it was at the or time. You, or you can if you pay the £60,000 fine for doing so. Well, yes, that's exactly. as it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is what, exactly, exactly what they have to do. Um, yeah, I think, they'll, I think long-term they'll be fine. The bigger question will be, when these players land, are they going to be taking an elite-level spot off someone else? Invariably, they will. Uh, and that's, you know, that's, just, that, that's just the issue. But, I mean, there's also upsides to that as well, which it, you know, increases the standard of the league in general, wherever they end up going. Yes, yeah, it's the age-old marquee player argument, which we will get onto in a little bit more detail at the end of the pod when we review Lord Miner's report. Um, just one thing before we move on from that um, Ackerman South African position. Have you guys got any idea who is likely to succeed him? And actually, JB, to take your point on um, Ackerman wasn't doing much coaching, perhaps that answers the question and perhaps... I don't think that they'll replace he's, him. He's surplus to requirements in the current market. Humphreys can take a bit more of the comms stuff and the the um, the management stuff, and the coaches can step up a little bit as well. Well, and yeah. the one the one that's being touted as maybe taken over on a possibly temporary, with a view to maybe a permanent appointment, is Rory Teague, who had some experience in France at Bordeaux, I believe, and now he's a skills coach at Gloucester. May take on that role. His dad's a Gloucester legend. Uh, yes, like that is clearly a very talented. You know, Gloucester's his hometown. Clearly, a very talented coach, highly, highly rated. So, mm-hmm. yeah, one to watch. And another one that's been potentially rumoured, or at least is on the uh, the bookies' options, is Stuart Lancaster to come come back to to England, go back to a a head coach role. It's no closer to Leeds. <laughs> probably taking longer, probably taking pro- longer to get from Leeds to Gloucester than from uh, Leeds to Leinster. It, it uh, would do. It probably would actually. Yeah, it's, it's about a forty-five minute flight. Um, I don't think they should take on anyone else. I think they've probably got enough talent there already. Promote from within, and off you go. And put a bit more responsibility on uh, David Humphreys' shoulders. Mm. There you go. Mm. Sorted. Easy. Uh, and- in terms of we were talking about South Africans moving, Kirtley Beale is moving because we talked 
in previous weeks about the, the cuts to Australian rugby and what fallout there will be of that. Kirtley Beale going looks to be one of them, um, which I can imagine the Australian that that will probably that will. I don't know what will, what will happen to players playing international rugby when they're playing abroad. Guys like Kirtley Bill. So he's he's got the sixty cap rule. So he does. He's allowed the Gitto rule. Um, he can continue to play for Australia if they want him, which would be um, a good question. I mean, he's not going to make another World Cup. No. He's a talented player, but has moments of madness. Um, so it might be best for him, his life in Paris and Australia, for for them to to part ways. How does he put? How? Oh, and Finn Russell resigned. Uh, yeah, now that that's probably the more interesting part of the story is Finn, Finn Russell, Curly Beale, and Simon Zebo all in, all in the same team partying. So, and Barker Tower. So incredible, to, and, and, uh, and Teddy Teddy Thomas. I mean, this backline is going to go bananas. It is, isn't it? It's mad. It's madness. Yeah, it's absolutely, it's absolutely sensational. It's going to be sensational on the on the field. It's going to be interesting off the field. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. They should have to say like a Brad Barrett or someone just to even it out. <laughs> Sober influence. Oh, they're off the field. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it's like... Um, in a nuclear reactor, you have the, the carbon rods to calm things down when it's getting a bit exactly. too intense. Stick Brad Barrett in there. The yeah, Brad, Brad Barrett is a, 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 one of rugby's carbon rods. Who would others be? Jamie Ooh. Noon. Noon, get, yeah. Yeah, get him back. Noon's him a good back. old school. Jamie Roberts is probably a good carbon no, rod. Unless I've misunderstood my nuclear physics, when you put the carbon rods in for too long, doesn't it actually then have a bounce back reaction? <laughs> You know more about nuclear reactors than if I do. If you put the carbon rods in too quickly, you create steam and that creates pressure, and then that's when you get your runaway reaction. There you so go. Maybe, so maybe not too much Brad Barrett, maybe sort of a little bit more sensible. Yeah, and certainly more sensible than like we need someone to keep to look after Dan Carter. Let's bring in Ali Williams. <laughs> <laughs> uh, One of the all, all time great character misjudgments. <laughs> One of the all-time great characters in rugby yeah. full stop. <laughs> Something else happened. Uh, and I can't remember what it is. And I wanted to link it into this, but I can't. Is I it... Um, well, there's the there's world rugby law changes. There's no. Leicester. There's Lord Miners. That's, there's that's, something... It's something very closely linked to this. It's on the... Doesn't have matter. Been, have there been many other sign-ins? I'm just trying to think. Don't think so. There's there's rumours of Benders going to London Irish. Is there? Oh. There's rumours of uh, of Tamafuna coming to the Premiership. Really? Uh, that's the big lad from Russell, yeah. Big Ben. Yeah. I, th I think calling him big is slightly understating things. <laughs> big Ben, who returned from uh, a two month rugby World Cup training camp, twenty kilograms overweight. Astonishing, isn't it? That's like, that's like <laughs> most people going after, back to work after this lockdown period. <laughs> oh, don't, don't. The peanut butter on toast and cappuccinos, too many. Naughty, Phil, naughty. Yeah, you're right. The, the amount of tea and coffee I have, honestly, I, I, um, I realised how bad it had got when I, when I went to a drawer and there wasn't a teaspoon in the drawer. <laughs> it had all been used. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm saving up a lot on not going out for coffee. You're saving a lot. Although one coffee shop in, in Charlton has reopened. Ooh. Which one? Uh, 
Are we allowed to say the name? Because we don't want outsiders coming from New Zealand. Uh, is it, a, is it um, a conglomerate type chain type? No. Or, or no, an independent? No, it, it, it's an indie. Ooh. Um, is it the one that's uh, never changed the sign from when, <laughs> from when it opened up? So everyone thinks it's a coffee shop called Barbecue. And actually it's called... Are you insane, Tim? And actually it's called Passion. living in the hall? That's Passion. not a cheesemonger. Is that a cheesemonger now? It's a cheesemonger. It's been a cheesemonger for three weeks. Has it? Oh. I've got a cheesemonger now. So what, a ti- right what a time! What a time to have sold! Oh <laughs> yeah. my word! Well played! What so, an amazing uh, market! Is next door to the fishmonger? That's opened. Um, obviously, the good folks of Charlton, in times of distress, queue up for cheese uh, like, <laughs> like no one's business. You know, the, the answer to your question, Tim, is the place that is open is a coffee shop, but it's actually the chocolatier. So the chocolatier is a uh, real. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know. My uh, my lad Louis spends his pocket money on um he goes around and buys the chocolate that they make the hot chocolate with and he he brings it home and makes his own brilliant brilliant high-end yeah. high luxury hot yes exactly he does loads of work <laughs> around the house gets his money goes and buys luxury luxury chocolate the yeah. finer things in life so yeah i've been I've, I've bought my first commercial coffee for a while and i took it to a bench on the high street and i sat there and i read my phone for five minutes it was it was wonderful Small indulgences. Yeah. Like, like the old times, Jay. Just like the old times. Just like the old times. <laughs> You're right. The amount, honest, genuinely, the amount of money I've not spent. It's, it's, it's actually a little bit frightening. It is, yeah. How much you spend <laughs> it on It was sobering. Pasta. Yeah. How much, how much I spend on, and I have no idea that I'm spending it or, nothing, or anything to show for it. On unnecessary yeah. food, mostly food and booze. Yeah. Well, and travel you know, the world. I'd love well, to. I'd um, love to spend loads of money on unnecessary booze right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, do you know who else will be spending uh, a lot more time, a lot more time at home now? Go on, Simon Cohen. Yes, the last Tiger seems to have uh, turned the page from uh, Mr. Cohen and his. Um, Time Lester Tigers. Uh, good old stint in fairness. There was, after all these years, there was a Monday morning meeting. Uh, <laughs> it's quite, you know, I, I, obviously I've criticised the Leicester Tigers structure before, and I still, I think it's... Have you? you? I'm not, I, I don't remember that. ...the <laughs> indulgent, but uh, I will say this, Mr. Cohen was always very, very kind at this time, and I, and, and I appreciated that. Um, it'll be interesting to see what what has to do now, but in my mind, they just need to consolidate some roles and make sure that they have a little bit more clarity about who runs a team, who does what, and try and get this great club back onto a good footing again. So, Andrea Pinchman, who is the current COO, is going to take over the CEO role. Um, we already spoke last week about the restructuring within the coaching team, which, other than Jordan Murphy and the potential for... Other than the headman. Other than the headman, although I've not seen him in a headman role, in a DOR role, and other than the potential for Mike Ford to go rogue, it, <laughs> it does look like it's a talented, exciting, young coaching team. So I'm interested to see what happens with all of this. How do you think Mike Ford, how do you think Mike Ford does it? <laughs> like, do you think he taps on, on, the, on the shoulder and goes, uh, hey, hey, Ben, do you, think, uh, do, you, do you think Jordan's doing well? Maybe he goes, oh, well, that, that'll be your opinion. I just walk, just <laughs> goes, goes around the squad. 
sowing the fields of the yeah. player's imagination with his... Hey, tell me what, that move that Jordan gave you didn't really bring the best out of you, did it? What do you mean? <laughs> oh, nothing, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> you both it's going to be the guy with all, with all the power there. Yeah, probably. Uh, unless they cut out the middleman and put um, demote Jordan Murphy back to co- head coach um, in the same way that uh, David Humphreys might be doing the head coaching role. Well, do you know who... Can you... Can you remember a DOR getting demoted to head coach? I know one. Uh, well, say... I know that I know that Steve Diamond demoted himself from CEO <laughs> to to director of rugby. <laughs> yeah. Close, you're close. Someone demoted a DOR. To uh, head coach. Brian, uh, Brian Redpath. That's right. Brian Redpath got demoted from uh, director of rugby to head coach, mm. and Steve Diamond became DOR. And look at them now; they're second. So it's a flat organisational structure. Can I um I'm gonna change tack slightly. So there was live sport this weekend. There was live live team sport this weekend. Did you watch it? I caught I, I caught bits and bobs of the bits and bobs of the Bundesliga. Yeah, I, I absolutely love this fella. <laughs> er, Erling Haaland. <laughs> what, what a dude this is. I'm just gonna play you guys something. Uh, his his post match interview after scoring a goal, he scored his twelfth goal. Obviously, the league's now resumed. This was his twelfth goal in his thirteenth match, and he used a total of eleven words. After the final whistle, you and the whole teammates, you were going to the south stand, the famous yellow wall, which was empty today. Of course, uh, why did you do that? Yeah, why not? Is it kind of <laughs> message you want to send out? Yes. Would you tell us a message? To my fans. They're best. They're everything for you (laughs) and for Borussia Dortmund. It is. Thanks a lot. It was a pleasure to talk to you. (laughs) He couldn't get away quick enough. (laughs) But the thing is, he doesn't look like he's in a rush, does he? No. There's a compilation of his interviews, and they say, you know, what was the key tonight? What was the secret tonight? Hard work. Hard work. Hard work. Hard work. Now, the funny thing is going to be, because I saw this tweet, and I think the tweet was like, I wish Holland would would understand that journalists aren't after a got you moment and he's you know you don't you, you know try not to play us and basically they want, they want more out of him but the joke's going to be on them when they realize actually he's serious it is just hard work and he's just baffled that no one takes him seriously that's all he does hard work well no i, I will say that when you see his body language as well with it that when the, the the reporter says thank you very much and he he Bolts. So there's clearly, and maybe something's happened in the past that he's got, uh, he's got this suspicion of, of of the press. But I I really like it, and, and as someone that stands there with, 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 with the microphone, I would love the challenge of interviewing him. I would love it. I was yeah. going to say, do you think you'd get more out of him than that? Tim? Well, that's, I, that's the challenge. <laughs> I've had this happen before with someone who just gave me one word answers, and I kept going. But I would probably have just chucking a curveball. Some some totally random question, nothing he would have a stock cliched answer to. I like it. I actually. Yeah, I like it. Now, now he's done it. It's like a thing. What 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 would you do to him? Um, bring him Lee Halfpenny to speak to him in a German uh, in a German. <laughs> 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 Referring to my interview with uh, Mamuka Gorgodza. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it was Mamuka Gorgodza and Lee Halfpenny. Lee Halfpenny. <laughs> <laughs> And Lee Halfpenny tried to translate into Georgian by just repeating what I'd said, but slower. 
<laughs> I loved that. Yeah, I did. Um, uh, so, so I really like it. But the reason I brought it up is the Bundesliga is back, which is a team sport, which is crucial. So F1 is going to come back and these solo sports are going to come back. But this is a team sport that's come back. Football in the UK could follow suit. Will rugby follow suit? There has been some talk that the, the, the fact that they're scrummaging and stuff will mean that it's not possible with rugby. Do you, do you, what do you think? I, from, so I, I watched this game. Um, Did you? Well, I watched uh, about the first 60 minutes of it. Because I've, I've decided that I am a die-hard FC Schalke 04 fan now. Yeah, I always knew you were. Which, which was um, pretty brutal first. That's so, that's so typical, Phil, that. Pretty brutal first um, game for me to watch them lose 4-0. But um, I was, I'll stick with it. Well, Schalke um, boringly, ruthlessly, ruthlessly efficient. And I thought that nicely matched both me and my, uh, my love of Germany. So that's why I went for them. Unfortunately, they got absolutely hammered and totally outplayed after uh, the first 10 minutes for the whole of the rest of the game. So I was a bit disappointed. But, um, so there's a few interesting things that seem contradictory when I was watching this. One, the celebrations when the players... So throughout the game, the, the game was totally normal. So when there's a corner, players are hustling and bustling. There's lots of contact. There's people right next to each other. There's lots of people right next to each other. But... When they score, you can't hug in celebration, even though you can put your arm around the man in the penalty area, or three men can have their arms around each other in the penalty area. And seemingly, totally ridiculously, all of the subs were sat two seats apart wearing face masks when they're on the subs bench. But then if two of them run on and they can go for a corner or they're positioned next to each other or are stood in a wall, they have right next to each other with no face mask. It's so, really performative, isn't it? That's what I thought when yes, I watched it. Exactly. It's I, a confused performance. I think you've nailed it there, Tim. I think we live in a society where the, the image of something, the signal. Um, what it signals is more important than you know, the actual practicality of it. Um, there's clearly no need for any of these boys to be wearing masks. There's clearly no need for them to be... Uh, distanced, I, th- I well, think. Uh, not, not to mention the evidence is pretty unclear on the effectiveness of masks, and in in many cases, wearing a mask increases your chance well, of picking up an infection. It's not even so much that; it's the fact that once you're playing a game of football, that horse is pretty much bolted. Yeah, yeah. That, that, um, that's the that's the bit. I don't, you know, I don't really care much for the uh, argument whether you should wear masks or not in general. But you're playing football now, so that's well, that over. And presumably, they're getting changed in an internal area where they're in at least at some point in reasonably close proximity to each other. But it, I mean, the fact that they can play and be stood in a wall next to each other, I can only assume that they've all been tested probably yes, quite thoroughly for a few days before and immediately before the game and probably immediately after the game. So the, the signaling from the, the masks and all that is nonsense, but actually the, the process and the logistics of getting those consistent testing probably for the week before and immediately before that gives me some hope for rugby and basically all sports to be done in the same manner admittedly with with no fans which was a an interesting experience but actually i don't actually mind that particularly um if you're not totally partisan and support one team i i don't mind it at all because you get the benefit of the play, being able to hear the players talking, being able to hear the coaches talking, better hear the. So you wouldn't prefer because there'll be very. I'm sure people will be thinking right now. Um, 
colleagues, people that I work with at BT Sport, I'm sure we'll be going through the various, how should we approach this? Should we pipe in some sort of sounds or just have it deadpan quiet? Um, I would I would have it unnatural. Yeah, natural, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's, this isn't even a joke. I, I'm sorry if you feel I'm being cruel. There's no difference to watching some Pro 14 games. I mean, it's, <laughs> to be honest, it's, it, it, visually, if you get the wrong stand in the Premiership, it's going to look the same. <laughs> you know, it, so what? You know, we, we, we had a game in bloody um, Philadelphia, and we yeah. flew all the way to Philadelphia to play it in front of six people. <laughs> uh, the rest it, were all hammered in the... In the it box. was brilliant. It was awesome. absolutely sensational. So yeah, I, yes. I have no problem with it. What what I would do in rugby, I would mic up a couple of players. So you got mm, the, don't know if I would actually. So you got the ref mic and you got a couple of players mic'd up. Now maybe maybe not leave those mics hot the whole time, but you can definitely cut in and out to them. For what? Give it to exactly. Jonathan Spratt. Yeah. Jonathan Spratt. <laughs> so the reason I bought up the point before about being performative no you brought it up sorry tim uh, the reason i reinforced it was um it's a problem for rugby because everyone could be perfectly safe but visually it doesn't look safe visually it's, uh, it isn't a safe sport anyway precisely but in terms yep. of covid and whatnot i mean you there is no way you can't scrimmage without getting covid you can't do a line out or more or a ruck without getting covid you can't do any of these things really and this does this does translate down to to the grassroots level as well. There is an element of me that thinks if everyone that's engaged in that is well, let's say the typical people that will play rugby will be young, relatively fit. They will be in a very very low risk category, and if they sign kind of a a, a thing going, I accept the risks and I step on this field willingly. Can I just say something? Which I wonder if it's been thought of before i mean I'm sure it has certainly by greater minds and me but maybe maybe not widely in the rugby community which is something you just said then tim what do you think of rugby players i mean who am i thinking of now i'm thinking of quade cooper and tom curry and phil Logan and people like that who are in you know good shape and yourself you know people you think yeah young healthy fit not a problem the problem is, I don't think you've been down to many 13 games recently. And <laughs> I, I, I don't mean to sound crass, but if this thing is really, really harsh on people who are o- obese, I don't think there's any way of getting around it. <laughs> but there are some pretty horrible specimens playing, you know, fourth, like, like fourth and 13. Uh, I mean, even professional rugby, there are some guys in there who, I mean, I don't know how the virus affects, you know, athletes who are very heavy set, because obviously they're different from people who are obese. But you know their BMI will be all, like will be all over the place. I mean they won't they, they won't be per, they won't be perfectly healthy in the way that a footballer is. And the further down the league that that goes, I wonder if there is a bit more of a risk actually. Yeah, and there is another problem because I, in principle, Tim, I like I like that, and I like the idea of people taking responsibility for themselves. Oh, I agree with that hundred percent. Definitely, definitely, that, that's like a really important principle to me. The problem the problem with it is then you have. These, ma- these gatherings where there is a chance, an increased chance of um, something transmitting to an increased number of people. And then they go off and one might be working, stacking shelves in Tesco. One might go to the doctors or to the pharmacist and they'll all then disperse into regular life where their chance of passing it to more vulnerable people does increase. Well, I suppose yeah. at least, at least, picking up on your point, Phil, at least with elite rugby, those guys are kind of institutionalised 
you can have it in a total bubble. In you a can bubble. have a total silo. Because um, at high-level sport, you have the, the money and the finance and the logistics to do it to- totally bu- bubbled and almost totally safe. You, that is not re- replicable down the, the, the leagues. That's not. It, no, that's a, it's, it's just not, is it? it? It's not at all. And you would then mean you'd have into... It's, it's not the people on the pitch accepting the risk. It's the people who then unknowingly come into contact with them having a higher risk further down the line. Yeah. Unless and the only the only difference would be um, if we get to a point where um, antibody testing is satisfactory and the the incidence of false positives and false negatives is low enough to mean that it is um, accurate and you can get players who have um, confirmed that they've had it and we are satisfied that once you've had it, you can no longer be contagious, then crack on. Uh, ca- yeah. carry on but then but that is I mean that's like a herd immunity type strategy which you're talking well depending on which um, report and publication you lead we could be 30 to 40 percent of the way there already or we could be somewhere between two and four percent of the way there already so a long way off the one thing we should avoid I believe is changing the game to super crisis um, we either play the full game or we don't play any of the game. I don't want to hold my house. I, I, I'm willing to wait for it, actually. Um, you know, we've, we've come this far. There's no point in ruining the good name of rugby. Uh, and there's no point in ruining it down the levels by getting rid of what makes it special, which is the ability for me to play on the field with uh, someone like Phil and also someone who's 23 stone. I mean, that's just that's part of the nature of the game. So I wouldn't want it changed in any way. And things like removing scrums... Not on the menu, thank you. Just yeah, as I was, agreed. as I was listening to Phil talk, and you, you're absolutely right in your assessment of the why there's a difference between elite level where you can keep it in a bubble and lower down where you can't. I, I totally get that. But as you were saying that, it, it was dawning on me: there's going to be a lot of clubs that go that can't afford to run, shut up shops, and can't run teams. Now think about it, because the the lifeblood of most grassroots rugby clubs is the bar and the mini section, and how many parents are going to just pull their kids out of the mini section in September, even if yeah, even if it there's was no over, risk. Even if, yeah. even if they were told, no, it's, it's fine, crack on, they're going to not do it because it's rugby and for all the reasons you said, because this, the, the appearance of it, it yeah. looks like it. And then you're going to get so many less people going to the bar. I hadn't even really yeah. clocked how big of a deal that could be. Yeah, it's the, going to be hard. I, I mean, I think it could potentially be hard. In my mind, I think everyone's going to find a pragmatic solution and we'll be all right. As is always my view on these things. I hope so. I do, I do think there will be a longer-term reduction in people, in all um, people engaging with with um, rugby at kind of social level. And I, I do think, even even if it is a, a 10% reduction, I think there will be, or 5% reduction, I, I think there will be. Unbelievably, I'm going to... Really, I think be, I think there'll be a massive boomerang effect of people who are so sick of being inside and want to get back to the rugby club or some outdoor thing or some activity. And you know, for me, it's been a massive wake-up call of all the things that I don't do. Like we spoke about cricket <laughs> the other day. Like I'm going to go and watch some cricket. I, I'm you know, I, I'm down the road. I should go and watch some cricket. If you've been cooped up for the last six months and rugby has been playing not six months because we've not been cooped up for six months, however long it's been. Um, and it feels like six playing, months sometime. Yeah. Um, Rugby has been playing on your mind, and then all of a sudden, it, the opportunity is taken away from you. You think, "Oh, bloody hell! Well, I, you know, 
I'm, I'm nearly 30, you know, maybe I can't play anymore, or maybe, you know, I think there'll be a lot of people returning to sports who will be very, for, who will feel very fortunate that this, that sport has returned and they have the opportunity to do so. I hope yeah, that is right. Awesome. I, yeah. I would also like sort of say this thing arrived at a time when I've been getting exacerbated already by how children are being infantilized and wrapped in cotton wool and which I think has been one of the reasons why rugby has suffered what appears to have been a dip in engagement with, with well, young people. I'm not going to go into this now, right? Because I have got some views on this, which will make me very unpopular. But um, I'll give you the, the 20,000 foot view. Uh, the reason that rugby is not attracting the people that it should be attracting is because of the absolutely abysmal marketing, which has been going on by both the union and the well and basically and also the top leagues we've surrendered um a lot of things such i said i wasn't going to give you the full, full run i'm just going to try not to <laughs> well, we've, we've we've surrendered the ground on like what are these so-called rugby values everything you know, everything comes down to a rugby value i think people are bored of being preached to by these holier than thou deities who run the game uh, and they are just pitching it at completely the wrong people and the qualities that they uh, say that rugby um, promotes just just on on those things. Those are not the reasons that, that we all play, and yet we are told this stuff over and over again. Rugby's got an incredibly bright future <clears> if it plays on the things that it's good at. And at the moment, it's not. How do you package this message to kids? Um, all the adults are here today because they want to try and bully another set of men. And uh, if they get into a fight, they're really confident because all their mates are going to pitch in. I mean, how do you package that? Because that's that's basically why we're there. <laughs> That, that's the message you've got to put, put forward. It's teamwork, it's great, it's determination, it's been hard, it's, been, it's doing unusual things with your body, which no right-minded person uh, in most walks of society would even think of doing. Yeah, great marketing. You know how like in the 1950s, they used to have adverts like, smoking is cool. Um, and, and like the guy, the guy that was smoking got the woman. That's what they should just do. Just like, do you know, I thought that was something ridiculous about smoking this week. Ridiculous. Um, particularly regarding the marketing of smoking. Have you ever heard of a company called Mission Winnow? Oh, only because you um, alerted me to it this week. But I'd, I'd never, never heard of them, not even close. Have you, Tim? No. Would it surprise you to know that Mission Winnow <laughs> managed to uh, sponsor the Ferrari F1 team to the tune of about 140 million quid every year? You'd have thought you'd have heard of them, right? Even now, even now, right now, it is on. It is on all on all the Ferrari F1 cars in the most prominent places. Mission Winnow. And what? do you know what it makes? It makes nothing. It literally makes nothing. <laughs> like they, they don't make any products. They don't have a factory. I, if they have an office, I'd be surprised. I bet they share their office with someone else. Do you know? Do you know who owns it? Philip Morris. So it is a cigarette, it, 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 international tobacco and cigarette <laughs> manufacturing company. They've set up a whole separate company and it seems to do nothing other than it's got like a handful of interviews with some basketball players. Um, and it, it's got a mission statement about excellence and then it shovels 130 or 140 million pounds a year to Ferrari. Their, their mission statement is this is this Mission Winnow has a simple goal drive change by constantly searching for better ways of doing things and by committing to learning and knowing more 
it's easier to make choices that improve the future for everyone. To make this happen, we will get inside the minds of outstanding innovators and change makers to see why and how they achieve excellence. Yeah, so that's it. Just a vehicle to give Ferrari 130 million quid's worth of smoking money. <laughs> if I could somehow get Mission Winnow on the top H jerseys, I would do it tomorrow. They, can, they should be sponsoring this podcast. Oh my god! If I, if I, right, I'll, I'll get on them tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. They probably don't even have anyone working there. <laughs> I've just found an article uh, which I'm going to read when I'm done on this podcast, which says. What the F is Mission Winnow? Explain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very, very good. Uh, I don't know what that's to do with rugby, but. Um, Not a great deal. Yeah, um, Lord Minus, should we get on? Oh, no. So, one thing we can just briefly touch on World Rugby have prevented from now on, there will be no more tries scored against the base of a post. Yeah. Fine. Fine. Great. Fine. Yeah. So, someone mentioned this to me and I, I was very smug about it because I knew that I knew and uh, I, was, I was just waiting for these civilians to give me their view before um, you know I torched them with my superior knowledge and um, <laughs> like, oh well I've never seen a, 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 you know, a, an incident of safety where someone's injured themselves on, on, on the post because I said it's a health, health, health safety thing and then I explained to them oh well the reason is boys because they lift the post up so the defenders are lifting the post up so you can't touch the face of the post and that's what's causing the safety issue. And then my friend rightly pointed out, why do you not just penalise people messing around with safety equipment? That, that's actually a much, a much better, better idea. I think it's also, I'm sure part of the reason was the fact that this is just one more law that's been eradicated from the law book that someone who's a casual rugby fan wouldn't be able to get their head around. Yeah, well, that, that's an yeah. advantage to me because they, they've taken out the clarification on the, um, you've got to score by dotting it down over the line or on the line or against the base of the post. So you've just taken mm. out the, the base of the post part. So it's actually a deletion of a of part of a law. It has led to a lot of people, yeah. It has led to a lot of people suggesting that an American football type post might be a better way for rugby to go. So it doesn't I, interfere with the try line. like that. I mean, I, I still have no problems with it. Um, I have one problem with it. Well, it's going to hold for amateur clubs. That's it, really. But go on. Yeah, what, amateur clubs. Amateur clubs and the diversions from the professional game, but also some teams have a 22 20, meter yeah, exactly. um, goal area. area. So they can well, because if you have an American football style, a 22 meter cantilevered post is going to be a. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> but we had posts on the try line, you just have one post in the double line. I'm sure you can make a rugby post with just one point fixed in the floor instead of two. Yeah, you could do. Yeah, even yeah, if it, even if it's go. still on the try line, just Mind like you, a, how many times do heavy winds and whatnot knock these things over? I mean, with two posts. So you know, whether you know, uh, uh, the obvious, the obvious solution to this would be um, posts which are suspended over a, a couple of pairs of magnets. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's the that's an obvious and sensible solution here. Yeah, um, maglev maglev technology. Yeah, maglev posts. They just float basically where they should be. Or some kind of uh, rotary blade on the top of them, and they they elevate up like a heli post. Perfect, absolutely. Dro- perfect. On drones, Dro- yes. Just like so, the kicking tee comes because also that's one thing. Uh, how are the kicking tees going to get on and off the pitch if we do play rugby? If it's all performative, 
Oh, we can't have someone handing a tea to someone else. <laughs> have to get the remote when control cars. So, a dro- so drones to fly drones. on the kicking tee, drones to fly the posts into position. And now, if you can't afford drones, have you ever um, read James and the Giant Peach? Where yeah. Where they lasso a thousand seagulls. You could do something similar. That's, that seems reasonable. <laughs> 2,000 seagulls, one for each set of posts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in... in in all honesty, I don't mind the, the law change at all. And it, no. it used to be, it used to be kind of, I'm thinking back 10 plus years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, that it was like really clever play. Oh, really smart play from the yeah. scrum after tap down on the, oh, he really knows the law book inside and out that lad. Now everyone knows it. So it's like, you're not really showing your rugby now by doing it. You're just mm-hmm. exploiting what's a gap. In yeah. yeah. And, you know, when you're playing against Exeter, and they're rolling towards those posts. It, 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 causes, it causes actual heart palpitations. Yeah. <laughs> it does matter in those situations. It's yeah. a real competitive advantage because yeah. Exeter can go through 25 phases on your try line. And eventually, you're going to you know, run out of things to do. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with it going, actually. It's a sensible law to change. It makes it easier. At, but I'm, for the two reasons, for the main one being dead ball, dead ball areas are too small. I keep the posts as they are. But the main reason I keep the posts as they are is Imagine a world in which James Haskell never ran into the post protector <laughs> like he did in Cardiff. He only had a fifty percent chance of running into the post. Um, can I talk about some 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 other podcasts? Yeah. So I love I love the art of art the the activity of podcasting. I think it's wonderful. I think it's a great revolution a, a great revolution in in the media scene, and I particularly like niche podcasts. So um. Apparently, in our local area, Macclesfield Rugby Club are going to start up, start up a podcast. But get this. Also, the ADM Premiership, which is the league which Disbury Talk H play in, a local league set up by the, uh, the Cheshire Union. Uh, must, I should really know that. No, no <laughs> Lancashire. The Lancashire Union. What Lancashire. Are they, are they it's a what, level six-ish type levels. Level six, yeah. level seven local league. From what I understand, they are going to do a podcast about our league. Remarkable. Which would be about as niche as you like. That's that is exactly like... what podcasts are designed to do. I'm well, yeah, yeah, podcasts, you can, nar- like, you, you can narrow cast. Is, you've got broadcasting, to, and then you can narrow cast and just catch your small little pocket of interest. Yeah, do it. Everyone can do it. If you've got a phone, you can podcast. We are living yeah. proof that anyone can do it. Yeah, literally. If we can do it, you can definitely <laughs> do it. Definitely do it. I mean, we did start our <laughs> podcasting journey in a multi-million pound radio studio. There is that. There is that. <laughs> uh, well. But we proved since. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we so proved since. Look out for the Lancashire, um, the Lancashire podcast or whatever it's going to be called. Brilliant. The Lancashire ADM Premiership ADM. podcast. Brilliant. You've got to really love it, otherwise you won't stick at it. That's the thing. So many start and then give That's up exactly after a few it. weeks. They're easy to start. They're very, very hard to do. We can well, actually they're quite easy to do. We can reach out. You just got to do them. And you've got to be disciplined. Mm, every, disciplined. Every there's only, there's only one rugby. Sunday. Yeah, there's only one rugby podcast that's there. Fifty-two weeks a year. There is only one. That's even true. when, even from a hospital bed, from a honeymoon, multiple from hospital beds. Actually, we've <laughs> <laughs> had several from hospital beds. One of my favourites was. Um, Oh God, there's some ridiculous ones where we've been on various stag weekends or weekends away and landed back in the country at like 2am and then recorded. Yes. God, Try to 
Yeah, Friendly podcast at 2am is difficult. Also, you can listen to us on Monday morning. The, um, the midway through a three or four day jaunt in New York was oh fun. When, when, when we, were so, oh we were enjoying ourselves far too much and actually realised, oh shit, we better do a podcast. Yeah, and so master. did one whilst half cut. It was after a bottomless brunch, a two hour yeah. unlimited mimosa and Bloody Mary brunch. And those Bloody Marys were strong. Oh. Simpler times when we were actually allowed to travel places. <sighs> the good old days. Uh, let's do Lord Miners. Yes. Yeah, come on, Phil. Okay. I take it you've both read the 57 page report. Yeah, yeah, obviously. I'm just, yeah, I, you, you tell me what you think it said, and then I'll tell you if you got it right or not. <laughs> right. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. So, um, Lord Miners, first of all. So he's a um, businessman, politician, sits in the House of Lords. Um, so he was appointed in December 2019. So this is immediately following the first half of the Saracens salary cap issues, ignoring the second half of the salary, Saracens salary cap issues, the, the um, further financial audit. And he's done what appears to be a very thorough review and written... A very easy to understand report. Um, it's a very interesting report, actually, because the first half of the report sets out a bit of background on the history of um, the salary cap and the premiership, uh, including some of the the previous breaches. And it also talks about his the process that he's gone through, including reviewing other salary cap and other financial control um, elements like drafts in NFL and NBA, like the UEFA um, and FIFA fair play type stuff, um, salary cap in rugby league and all the rest of them. Um, And the report, so it's not, so it's a review the regulations. So this is the, the regulation document that we reviewed in detail in the past on a couple of podcasts and indeed on the sal- on our Saracens salary cap podcast, which went out on about the 26th or 27th of January this year, which if anyone wants to know anything about the Saracens episode, go back and listen to that. It's a, it's a full in-depth review of the Dyson report, which in itself is a very interesting, very interesting report. Um, so it's a review of the regulations. So the processes, the investigation and disciplinary options, it's not intended to be a review of the salary cap level that says 6.4 million plus academy credits. And it's definitely not intended to be a, a further investigation in, into what Saracens have and have not done wrong. And he was given a, a brief to make recommendations to produce world leading regulations to build trust and cooperation which so he's put forward a huge number of recommendations there's uh, 30 or 40 i think individual recommendations but it's done more like a shopping list of recommendations he's not saying apply all of these 
immediately he's saying these are options let's review them and look at what can be done for the for the best yeah the loo roll and hand sanitizer first then worry about the rest <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> um so just on the history shall i do give you a quick run through of the history of the salary cap because i think this is quite interesting it yes gives, please. it gives a bit of context so game term professional 95 96 98 there was a deloitte report done into the potential for the salary cap that recommended it um with objectives broadly in line with those stated in the current salary cap and that's ensure financial viability of the competition control inflationary pressures provide a level level playing field ensure a competitive competition and enable clubs to be competitive in europe and i think broadly potentially ignoring the um the uh the saracens issue with financial fair play all of those are met um english clubs are consistently um competitive in europe and indeed they've won europe more times than any other country um it is a very competitive competition that's something that we love about the the premiership there's been nine separate winners in the last 25 years which is pretty good in in the scheme of things um so the objectives are currently being met to a degree, but the problem is um, there's the trust and the transparency issues that have been highlighted from the Saracens. Anyway, so in 1999, the salary cap was set at 1.8 million. Uh-huh. And it, it slowly went up over the next eight or so years. Um, and it by 2007, it was 2.2 million. And then on review, they saw an 80% jump up to 4 million. And that was due to, that was planned to help the clubs compete in Europe. There was then, um, obviously, the 2008-2009 financial crisis. Um, and there was a few years of stagnant salary caps. Um, and since 2011, there was further reviews that allowed it to increase. But in doing so, have added a huge amount of complexity so as part of those increases there's been first of all a marquee player then a second marquee player then homegrown player credits which were then extended which were then increased and academy credits which were extended which were increased so all of that means you've got these incredibly this incredibly complex web of um, regulations Um, over and above that there's been two well there's been two major breaches in 2014 when there were Saracens plus one other club who had a significant breach, which was settled outside of um, disciplinary procedures. The Saracens one, according to this, was settled the night before um, disciplinary procedures were due to start by a private negotiation. Um, there was then the Wasps and Harlequins administrative oversights in 2016-17, which led to I think it was 20k and 6k, so minor oversights, and then the big Saracens salary gate, um, and the subsequent uh, rejection of a forensic audit in 2019-2020, and that takes us to the start of this um, this review. So recommendations. I'll go through them in a few categories. So first, I, one. Lo- I love I love that you're part of this podcast, Phil. This it's times <laughs> like this. What would we do? What would we do if no, we were muddling through this speculate, without why you? Why haven't we speculated about what Lord Money thought? <laughs> 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 
Right. So first one shouldn't be of any surprise. So it make the regulations easier to understand and administer. Now, obviously, we know because we went through all of the detail, the 107 pages of Lord Miner's report and the 50 odd pages of the salary cap in order to produce our, our previous podcasts. They are bloody complicated. And actually, one of the things that um, Lord Miner's suggests is a reversal of the current assumption, which is the current assumption is it tries to the regulations try to produce a definitive list of everything that is captured as salary. So that means you have to write out every single possible option that a club can use to pay a player, to make a payment to a player or a connected party. Um, and if it's not on that list, you can assume it's not salary. So what he's saying really simply is reverse that assumption. Assume anything paid by the club or a connected party to a player or a connected party is salary unless it's specifically excluded or you get um, prior um, acceptance and acknowledgement from the salary cap manager. And it just seems like a really simple, like it's almost too simple and too obvious that it should have been done already. Um, and those, those exceptional items, there are specific ones that are included and allowed things like uh, testimonial years, um, what have I got? insurance payments, tickets, kit, educational fees, that kind of stuff is mm. fine and exempt and, and should continue. Um, he also suggests that certain type of payments should be totally outlawed in their entirety. Um, this is directly linking to um, the Nigel Ray investments, or at least in part. So prohibiting payments of certain types, for example, co-investments or any other payment which has a subjective out outcome. Yeah, I, I'm already not in agreement with this now. With with that one recommendation or the whole thing? Yeah, yeah. Well, I am in agreement that you can't pay players through other means. Um, so you can't you can't set up a shell company or I hate that I hate that term. It means no. <laughs> um, you can't you can't just pay players via the back door. Okay. If it's commercial agreement, I think it's absolutely fine that two parties get get um, get together and do that. So he's recommending take that all out of there. And part of the reason is the, the transparency aspect, particularly if you've got a long-term arrangement. How do you, mm -hmm. And this is something we flagged when we did the, the previous salary cap um, pods. How do you determine the salary cap contribution in one single playing season when it's a multi-year deal with an uncertain appreciation? Yeah. I, I can I mean, understand from, from a simplicity point of view, I totally understand it. But I do I, I'm I'm at least partly with you, Jay, in that one of the good advantages of these rugby clubs and the opportunities for players is the business contacts and the connections and the opportunities yeah, for that. Yeah, basically. That's so simple, but it has to be manageable within a salary cap context, and that's a, it's a tricky mm. balance to strike. It is. Uh, we could go over that again, but I feel that if you go back to the salary cap podcast, we actually do that in a lot more detail. So, uh, what else was there? So, that there's that, there's um, payments post playing career where there's a connection to previous year's performance, which he didn't give a specific example on that, but it, there must be a specific reference to something that's been done in the past. And the other one was um, like a total exclusion and a broadening of the def definition of connected party payments. So there's okay. So and that 
again, you, you can't have uh, Nigel Ray's daughter, daughter's company paying Maru Itoji and so it's counting. I think you can, but it's got to be super clear. Yeah. This yeah. is what it is. This is why they're here. This is the market, you know, this is the, you know, this is the market value of it. Nothing at towards. I think his, um, yeah, his recommendation of the sanctions is going to, if they were brought in as Lord Miners have suggested, they are going to prevent any player themselves and the player's agent from taking any chances whatsoever. Yeah. Not just the club. I'm completely in agreement with that though. So one of my ideas, um, when was it? When the salary cap stuff came up. Because a lot of people were saying, look, the players have got nothing to do with this. You know, the players didn't know what they were doing, this, that, and the other. And I'm not so sure about that. I mean, just the size of their earnings means they can sometimes become very financially complex individuals. So let's, 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 jump, onto, let's jump onto that then. Because there's but, two... Um, pa- sorry, go on, Jay. Yeah, I was just going to finish on... Um, I can't remember the point. Now. What on earth was, the was the, sa- the sanctions and the players... Have- yeah. Sac- Sanctions yeah, so, and players' accountability. Yeah, so my point on that would be, um, the league issue you with a form, like a tax return, and you fill it in. You say, this is my salary, this is, these are my endorsements, these, these ones come from the club, the, uh, these ones don't. And then you just return that form. Now, if you don't have an agent, do it yourself. But much like the HMRC, if you do have an accountant, have your accountant do it or have your agent do it. Preferably the agent. And if the agent puts something wrong on there, it's later found out that, it is wrong. Um, the agent can get can get banned. If the player puts something on puts something on there which the club hasn't then declared, the, the player is completely in the in the clear because the player doesn't know the composition of the salary cap, which is absolutely true. But if the player doesn't put something on there and the club doesn't put something on there and it's found out later to be a breach of the salary cap, then you throw the book at them. So that that is a specific recommendation. And there's a lot more detail on it, but broadly, what is that you, in the report? Sorry. What broadly, what you've described is something that's in the report for both players and agents, um, for them to make a declaration of earnings both at the start of the season for anticipated earnings and at the end of the season, um, oh, and have um, full declaration and um, PRL and the salary cap manager and their team will have full audit rights on bank accounts on. Um, other organisations that players involved in on sponsorship deals on all on all earnings and the links to them. Now, I'm and included within that there is sanctions um, for both agents and for players. And players, the potential sanctions being suggested range from one thousand pounds for minor administrative breach or being late submitting your form up to a, a maximum of £250,000 and suspension for a, a full season of play. Now, that, that would only be... In and for repeated, for repeated infringements, banned for life. Is that on there? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're going to have to find the Venn diagram, won't you, of players who are incredibly good and incredibly dishonest. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, a lot of these, a lot of the measures, they go into... He goes into recommendation of hugely increased sanctions for everyone involved so clubs owners anyone else board members who are found doing this with the intention of all of these sanctions being punitive and their disincentives they're yes. significantly harsh in order to to prevent people from doing this rugby players better call Saul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. so the increased sanction for 
um, clubs, which is suggesting over and above the points deduction and the fine. Although he does say, um, to the entry level, he's broadly happy with the current levels of sanctions, although entry level sanctions should be increased. He'd also want to look at relegation, which has now been introduced following Saracen's round two, suspension, um, stripping of titles and return of prize money for, for future breaches, mm. which are pretty harsh. Um, and alongside the player stuff, so there's um, introducing a fit and, top, fit, fit and proper test for club owners and also requiring, requir- requiring club officials and board members to declare their knowledge of the regulations and sign on their intention to abide by them mm. and tie, tie them into sanctions and also to get the PRL... Well, I wonder... I wonder if you could extend that to sponsors. As connected parties, potentially. Yeah, so, look, you want to get involved in rugby. Okay, fine. you got your name on the shirt. That, that's good. Please sign this so we can all agree that you're not going to pay, pay players via the back door. That's quite, that's quite a nice and neat solution. Yeah. Um, they'll and and an open you... books policy as well. I think you might have mentioned something along those lines, but basically just a full audit open okay. book policy. On everything. Yeah, there's massive recommendations for... So the SCM, which is one person at the moment, so basically there's recommendations for that rule to be expanded significantly, which it ties in with everything else. Because if you're asking all the players to do this and all the agents and all the owners, directors, everyone to sign up to this, and you're asking for what the um, other things which are massively increased investigative investigative powers audits at any point in the season full access to the salary cap spreadsheet all of this stuff you need an army of people doing it which is one of the things that you're creating a huge amount of bureaucracy and red tape um to do this but you're going to need a big team to do this but as part of that it's it is basically full access to everything so um i went on a stag do once and on this stag do would you believe it was a prison governor. Cool. Yeah, cool. And um, he had one of the most dangerous prisoners in his prison. Uh, apparently he's American. And um, they weren't allowed to go and see this guy with any less than five people. Do you, do you know why it was five people? One for each arm and leg. Nope. <laughs> no. He wasn't physically dangerous. The no. reason five people is because... Um, that is what they reckon the minimum number of people you need, so you don't, so you're not all corrupt. <laughs> so like, yeah, so like you can do like if it's just me and Tim, you could, you could easily corrupt me and Tim, not a problem. <laughs> right? But me and Tim, plus Phil, plus two others, it's not so easy. You you always worry that someone else will squeal. So um, yeah, that's what they do. How's this link linked to salary cap? I think the principle of just having bigger departments or more people in the club who can see the figures will be a far better development because you know you, you can't expect everyone to lie. You couldn't have a major club. Say if some club is doing something uh, absolutely, completely illegal, you'd be very, very cautious about telling just one of your PAYE employees because, they, because at some point they're going to leave unless you pay them so much that they never leave. Well, the flip side on, on this, in Saracen's case is everyone knew about the co-investments, but they were just, they either said or believed 
it was okay. Yeah. Yeah. I bet they. But I bet they knew in silos though. I bet they didn't know. So I bet like Mario didn't know about Billy's. Oh, maybe, well, maybe he did. Maybe though. No, but they didn't know about every everyone. So all yeah, no one had the full. No one had the full picture. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Apart, yeah. apart from Nigel. Nigel yeah. Ray. And that's why having a slightly bigger department in a club with people who know how to manage salary caps would be a really good idea. And also, be, tell you what, there'd be some bloody valuable employers, employees there. Because if you are the master at managing salary cap for sale, and then WASPs get hold of that in, in, um, information, or you did it for Saracens, all of a sudden, you know, your, your skills are in serious demand. Serious demand. So... Another couple of things. There's a few slightly less interesting ones, so um, or more obvious, particularly. Um, so promote the, the the changes need to promote greater transparency, which is a really obvious thing, and it's something that we continually complained about. And the, I mean, Premier Rugby not publishing the original decision and making the decision not to publish, it 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 was the worst decision they could made make because. It gave no transparency. It didn't engender trust in the process, and it led to it, what was worse. It led to far more speculation. Some of which was worse. Some of which was better. But all, most of which was totally wrong mm. about the the real truth. So, promoting transparency is massive. And it, they're suggesting, obviously, publishing any future decisions um, immediately, or certainly when it's when it's right to do so. Uh, but also producing annual reports and public. Um, publishing annual reports into the processes that the salary managers go, obviously redacting any um, personal information, but just having transparency on the process. So I'm not sure I agree with that. So I think it's okay for them to look at each other's books, but say if I come up with a clever wheeze, and I don't mean like overtly cheating, but something which is legal, but is a competitive advantage, I think I should be able to keep that. Well, I think, so the whole thing is trying to take off the table the, the financial competitive advantage and keep because mm. that, that is one of the underlying principles of the salary cap itself so I, no, I, I mean just I'm simple things for, like if i structured i mean everyone knows this it's not a trick as such in fact it's definitely not a trick but you know if i get my lower paid players and instead of putting their salary instead of paying their salary to them and then them putting it in a pension, I put their salary straight into a pension as an employee's contribution. Then we save on then we save on national insurance. There again, you save on company national insurance. So I don't know if that if that accounts towards the cap 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 anyway. Yeah, yeah like little things like that. There might there might be things like that, but I I do think that goes it flies in the face of the of the in the reason why you've got the salary cap in place. Because in my mind, take the so the financial should be exactly the same. Then you're looking at any other, basically any on pitch or training or rehab or strength and conditioning. You're looking at all the other non-financial. And what about benefits? What about if I give you my box? Will you all the information will be redacted? But you could make some assumptions as to which players got paid what, right? Um. I guess you probably could do. I, it, I don't so, think that's particularly fair. So I don't think they're suggesting that that information would come out. So that what yeah. they're saying is a, an annual report. So all this goes into the salary cap manager who then produces an annual report on the process and what's and being what, done. What, what information like excess cap? 
so if I um, I would have thought that would be, but I, so I don't know. I don't like that, and the reason I don't like it is because that's my that's my business. That that is, a, if I've decided not to spend my cap all this year because I'm hoping that some superstar comes up, or I can loan someone from Super Rugby or whatever it is. I think that's how I run, how I run my cap is up to me, and also I don't want anyone looking at my cap numbers thinking that my squad is vulnerable to someone offering a different contract. So they're not, as far as I can tell, suggesting any changes to that. As in, okay. there's going to be a, recommending a report published. They don't state right now whether currently that information is available or it will be in future. And it might actually be available now because one of the one of the other points that he makes is there should be a separation of the powers from the determination of the regulations, then the investigation and the enforcement of them. Because right mm. now the clubs are heavily involved in in all of that. Marking their own homework. Yeah. And we saw yeah. in, in 2015 when Saracens negotiated their way out of a disciplinary, as Saracens and one other club, I must add, uh, negotiated by pre-negotiation, worked their way out of the disciplinary. That was with unanimous agreement of all clubs that that could happen. And it, it, he's recommending taking that option off the table. Similarly, no, similarly in 2020, when Saracens, um, they took relegation rather than a forensic audit, that was with unanimous agreement to, by all clubs to change the rules to avoid that investigation, which it, it might actually be the better thing for promoting trust in the game because a lot of murky stuff has not come out as a, as a consequence of that. But in general, you would expect that that, will, um, that option will promote distrust in the in the process yeah so it's not the things will get published but if you fall foul of the laws then yeah you can bet your bottom dollar everything will be published yes and then yeah, uh, I think that's fair, actually. yeah, that, yeah. I mean, it sounds like a very sensible report truth be told um, it, it's a good so there's one last thing that i will mention which is a, a review which is something we discussed last week a review of the current provisions for exempt marquee players um, and in this, there's, there's a couple of interesting stats which I wasn't aware of previously. So, there are. Do you know how many players in the Premiership? You might have seen this um, in the, the write-ups from this or from the report. Do you know how many players there are in the Premiership with salaries of 300k or more? Um, I have seen this. Yes. So, uh, is it 112? Just I, guessing. I I want to say, it's a, I don't know why 80 is in, um, in my head. Oh, no, 112, that'd be 10 at each club. No, no, not that much. I'll say 40. So it's, it's actually 99. What? So it's, not, so it's eight, eight or nine at each club. Wow. Um, so very more speculated that there was a lot of players on over 400,000, and I reckon there might be about 12. So, so I think there's more than 12, because the next... 400k? So the next stat is the top 24 highest paid players, the top 24, their, their combined salary is 14 million, which gives, wow. you an ab, which gives you an average payment of 580K for the top 24. Um, oh. Of whom seven of them are not marquee players. So, the top, so that means that you've got um, some clubs have three players who are 500K plus. Or most likely have, some clubs have three or more players who are 500k plus. Nathan Hughes, rumoured. Rudrada. 
Well, yeah, Radrada. So that's from from this last season, not from ne- for next season with Radrada. So P- Pietau, Luatua, Nathan Hughes. But yeah, it's. I think I think that's quite interesting. That that's um, it's something that we've spoken about before. The number of players on the very high salaries is pretty high, but you've got this kind of squeezed middle where rather the the great example is the Charlie Morgan one. At looking at Harlequins wingers, rather than keep uh, what's his name. Charlie Charlie Walker. Charlie Walker, you can who's on a, a good screw, you can let him go to Italy or anywhere else and have Caden Murley and Ibatoy. Come some young lads coming through who will do ninety five percent the same thing at a fraction of the price. Mm. Um, yeah, because the guess is linked broadly into the wider conversation, which was getting rid of the getting rid of the marquee players regardless. And he, he actually does suggest that as an option. Certainly, to yeah, so potentially get rid. That's one of the COVID, COVID options, isn't it? To you know, reduce, um, reduce spending. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm neutral on it. I understand why it existed. I don't think that we need it anymore. I think uh, you know the the natural interest in the game in the in the UK, the size of the UK economy, all of the other things will mean that we don't need it because everything else is is collapsing. Um, we no longer need to compete with, it, uh, with anyone else, other than really maybe France. And I think we want, we'll, we will naturally naturally do, do that anyway. So getting rid of the marquee uh, signings, absolutely fine by me, makes people think about the salary caps a bit more. And I think it is it is just unsettling for a squad if you have five players on 500k plus, and then a bunch of guys on 120. How can it not be? Yeah, you'd assume it well, would be. I'd I'd say actually to make the numbers stack up, actually what you're talking about is three or four guys on half a million, a few more on three hundred K and a bunch on a lot fifty. Fifty to hundred. Yeah. I mean it'd be awesome just to pick up a random team sheet in the premiership and then attach what you think the numbers are. Um I just yeah, it's part of me also thinks like I, I don't care what people spend on, on, on their squad. It doesn't bother me at all, really. If they want to spend however much they want to spend, so, so be it. I don't begrudge the players that. But I do think it's stupid. I, I do think it's, it misvalues players because there's no way that a £500,000 scrum half, I'm um, just stretching, I think, well, say you give Faf £500,000 or Kovas Reinach or, or, or someone. I don't think he is five times better then, I don't know, um, Simpson in Gloucester, who probably is on the you know, lower sort of tier. So it's just, it's just a miscalculation. And, you know, it, 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 half of this game now is going to be about how do you allocate your salary cap? Moneyball. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, massively. Now, where do you two stand on um, full transparency on salaries? Now, that's not something that's mentioned in the report, by the way. I do like it. I, I, I do like it. Even though I said all the things before, but I don't like it. If everyone's in, everyone's in. Yeah, and if, if, if the salary cap is... If you've got confidence in the salary cap, then I, don't, then I think it's okay. I can understand from a player's perspective, it's... I mean, for a lot of players... No, actually, do you know what? For, I think for the majority of players, it would be advantageous to their earning potential because other people might go, you're only on that. All yeah. right. Okay. I. I could. I, we could. We can improve on that. It happens in the NFL all the time. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, and that, the, the, the big difference is, though, international earnings. So the England players earn so much from internationals uh, that would skew the figures enormously. Yeah, but, that, but, but that, that's just, outside of the salary cap. Yeah, yeah. yeah but you just report it separately. Yeah. Well, and that's merit, that is merit-based. It is. Sorry, what I mean, though, is it skews... I don't know, it, it makes playing in the Premiership a lot more attractive to a certain, a certain profile of player. It does, so you could, yeah. So you say you report it differently, but if I have a, um, a Ben Teo, say... Maybe I can I can sign Ben Teo on two hundred rather than four hundred because I know he's going to be in England international and say look Ben you're not going to be here um, or, you're not or, or, or you could spend half a million on him or four hundred fifty thousand on him to play a handful of times like Worcester nah, did play three times <laughs> get a load of caps for England get a Lions jersey yeah what a career now that, so, never has so as a man achieved so much with so little games. <laughs> I I I understand if I was a player I wouldn't I, I wouldn't want it although Tim I see your point about um there are certain players who it would increase their value um but I think from a, a fan's perspective from a trust perspective and from a, from an interest perspective I think it, it would be huge and like I I I'm still only halfway through the last dance I've still not finished it but in the first or second episode where they're talking about Scotty Pippin and the deal that he did. And Bless he took him. A, a seven-year deal for uh, stability for his 18 family. Million. Because of the background, because of, the ba- because of his background and his upbringing and having grown up with so little, a bird, he wanted the bird in the hand, and even you, though it, it was massively undervaluing where he would be a couple of years later. Wow. So, yeah. But, but that, imagine the speculation. Be, like, you could directly compare the value of players and how useful players are. It's just really, it's, it's like a game changer in terms of like... Yeah, it is. And interest. An, and analysts. And it does bring a whole new category of um, enjoyment to the sport, I think. It does. It, it definitely does. Definitely does. And yeah, there would be some players who would become total fan favourites because they look how hard they're working. Look how much yeah. effort they're putting in. And they and are getting, and they're getting a pittance. Yeah, but, uh, but I, I think that's... Fair, but for exactly the reason you said. Imagine a squad of players, and you know, you you better right. Everyone knows what you're earning. You better go out and deliver. Yeah, it puts pressure. Like um, if you've ever read Shantaine Happy's um, narrative on his um, concussions when he went to France as the marquee player, and he part of his undoing was he felt he had to live up to that that marquee salary. Uh, not a marquee because he don't have exempt pay. Yeah, but, but yeah, star. The highest, yeah, star player. Yeah, mm. it's a totally different dynamic. Well, anyway. the international stuff might sort itself out a little bit more when we um, get a bit of clarity on the international calendar, which is due to change. It is. Um, with the Six Nations potentially moving back by a month or so um, to allow the Six Nations and the Rugby Championship to both run concurrently in March, April. Uh, yes, correct. And as for this autumn, potentially... Not a Six Nations, but a Home Nations tournament. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fine. Just because of the lack Um, of travelling and the logistics involved being a lot easier. So just a few things on the Six Nations. Um, I love it when when it is. I I, I don't know if I love it when it is because I love it when it is or because I've got so many fond memories attached to when it is. 
Yeah. If that makes sense. So I, I, I'm not sure. If I got a scrap of paper and said, when do you want this event? I go, February, obviously. <laughs> well, um, but, I, but, I, but I can say there is some logic in it, the reason why that time of year is so great because that period, that period after Christmas is so, is so horrible. That is the hardest time of the year. You've got no money. No one's going out in January. It's dark. It's cold. It's horrible. It's and just, just that little, but that little six. It's only six weeks till six. It's only six weeks. It just. It's a little. You need a little something in that and period it, to look forward to. And then it starts getting lighter in the morning and lighter yeah. at night. And then everything. The world's okay again. Yeah. Like yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if like I said. I don't know if I love it because I just love the memories from going to it. Or actually, it's great. So I, I don't know. I can't answer that question. I can't answer that question. Um, but I wouldn't like to see it moved unless you give me the evidence of why you're moving it. I, I don't have real strong views either way. If you tell me it's going to be played in March, fine. April, yeah, fine. But I, I, I do really like the fact care. that if, if you want to equalise the, the the world calendar, fine. Well, we're getting eighty thousand people selling out every game up here. <laughs> when you start doing that down there. We'll come and maybe move to you, but in the meantime, you can flip in sync up with our calendar. Thank you. Yeah, something like that. I mean, it, look, if you can, it has to be, it has to be for a reason. Okay, so I think we've got the reason now. Yeah, and then you've got to prove to me the reason is worthwhile, and that's a bit which I don't really know about. But it's not a big give, is it? You know, in it's, terms it's, of negotiations, it's like okay, well, it doesn't mean that much to us. We'll just move it. Move, move but, in um, the six nations like by to, month. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to know that this thing is going to work. Yeah, and it's not actually going to end up in some bloody convoluted, awful format that nobody understands and nobody likes. If you were a betting man, do you think we'll have Six Nations in February with crowds? Yeah, I'm going. Yeah, I'm going. Mm, you are I'm cautious, going, of Phil. Thanks I am. Um, I'd be playing rugby right now with crowds if, if it's down to me. <laughs> you'd, you'd you'd have eighty thousand people watching Talk H if it was down to you. Yeah, I would have, I'd have 160,000 people watching Talk H and 80,000 seats the stadium. <laughs> um, no, I'm going to say no, not by February. That's a, it seems ridiculous, but no. I am inclined to agree with you, Phil. That's what worries me. But I think that would be one of the very last things to get back to normal. I think by a lot of things we'll be able to do. International travel, we'll be able to do. International travel is what worries me the most. Cheap flights are basically gone. Well, I'm I'm looking at. Uh, I've just been looking. Do I take a punt on just betting that the all the quarantine stuff's going to be relaxed? Because in Italy they're saying, "Come on in, we're not going to quarantine anyone." Yeah. Mm. They're well, saying they're saying in the UK when you come back you'll have to quarantine. But I work from home at the minute anyway, so I'm like, okay, fine, fine. <laughs> I'll just book I'll book some supermarket delivery shops. For a couple of weeks, fine. <laughs> yeah, I, that's my biggest worry, not being able to get, get cheap holidays abroad. Mm, stag I, th- I, I think the supply and demand is going to be such that they'll be desperate for people to go. Yeah, I think you're right, actually, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Hospi- hospitality industry. Just need and to travel. Yeah. It's more, it's more dependent on the pound staying strong, JB. That's just, <laughs> you know, very selfishly, that's it for that. They also bought a domestic, a domestic holiday uh, just dropped me a DM on Twitter as I have a holiday flat and I'm desperate to let it out. <laughs> desperate. <laughs> it's lovely. In uh, the seaside town of Degamway. 
North it Wales. It might, might, be, might be of interest to some people from New Zealand who want to escape their family yeah, for a bit. <laughs> Grateful writing. If you sit in the window in the lounge, look out <laughs> yeah, over, the, yeah. over, the co- over the train tracks over the coast. Beautiful. Exactly. Right, we've got a, another podcast coming your way, which is going to be talking about the 2009 Lions second test. Um, absolutely epic test match. So much to talk about in that game. So we'll be back on the next podcast for that one, which is why you need to hit subscribe, why you need to tell your mates, why you need to follow him at Beardmore on Twitter, me at Cocker, and Phil will let you know if he wants you to hear from him as he's lurking in the cesspit. Until then, let the boys play. Let the boys play. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.